if you will turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 14. This microphone is stressing me out. It shouldn't, but it is. All right, if you're there, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 14. Here's what it says. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all of the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit, everybody say one spirit, are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. Everybody say one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. So today, just for a few minutes, um, I want to draw your attention to those passages and talk to you about entrance into the body of Christ. That's a good, that's a good thing to be pursuing after, right? To be part of the body of Christ. And so when you're thinking about this passage, typically, um, this passage is used to signify unity, right? There's lots of different members, um, everybody. Uh, my favorite analogy is we only need one nose, right? We don't need two noses, but it's important. And there's a lot of different ways you can kind of go with it. But Paul viewed the church as the living body of Christ comprised of believers. And Paul made no formal distinction between clergy and laity. But with the ministry being done by the clergy and then the laity just kind of hanging out there. But he actually said that, hey, this is a community of believers. And when we come together, everybody's equally important. And that is important to, to recognize because in the, Old Te in the uh, New Testament church, when the believers came together, everybody ministered. Sometimes even the person who was delivered from, like, demonic harassment, they would say, and then they ministered unto the other ones. They, they would share their testimony of what God had done. And so it was really important that when the believers came together, all the different members functioned, and it wasn't just one person who was hearing from God and everybody else was just like, oh, God, receive us. No, he put the Spirit out there so that we could all be members of the same body. And so it's the Holy Ghost, it's that one spirit that actually connects us together and empowers us. It really is. But what we have to recognize today when we're talking about entrance into the body of Christ is that the Holy Ghost is not just a, it's not just an experience. It's not just, hey, we can all come together, we can all be a body of believers, and we can all do the work of God. Because that's actually not what this verse is saying. It's saying that there's no exclusion criteria. Everybody can receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. However, you need to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost to be part of the body. You need it to be able to be empowered to do that work. And so when you go back to 1 Corinthians, it says, For by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, or we are all immersed into one body. And so today we have to recognize that the baptism of the Holy Ghost with evidence of speaking in other tongues, it's, it's essential. It's a requirement. We have to have that, and we have to have that to function as the body of Christ in the way that he intended for it to function. Good news, if you do not have the gift of the Holy Ghost, it is a free gift, and it's promised to you, and you can have it today. But with that knowledge, we also have to recognize that we can't, in our human condition, be good enough, unified enough, or passionate enough to carry out the work of the body of Christ. It, it won't work. It will not work without the binding together of the Holy Ghost. And so the disciples actually learned this the hard way. And if you will turn your attention to Matthew chapter 17, I'm going to read a few verses and then jump down and read a few more, starting in verse 1. So the disciples are with Jesus, God manifest in the flesh. They, uh, they have the experience we're all looking for today, right? They are right there with them. They're hearing from them. They're seeing these miracles. 
And towards the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, um, the Bible paints us a picture of him heading up into a high place and actually having this transcendent experience, and some of the disciples got to see it. And it says in verse 1, it says, And after six days Jesus taketh Peter and James and John his brother and bringeth them up into an high mountain apart. And he was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as light, and behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking with him. So you got to kind of get a picture of this. Jesus ascends up to a high place. Peter and some of the disciples are there. And Jesus has this bright, shining moment. Peter recognizes, wow, this is, this is the Son of God. This is God manifest in the flesh. This is awesome. And then over the next few verses, you see Peter kind of tripping out on what he just saw. He's like, we're going to build tabernacles up here. We're going to make churches. This is just an amazing experience. Like, he is really excited about the experience. But if you jump down to verses 14 through 16, uh, we kind of see a different part of this story. So it says, and when they were come down to the multitude, so they're leaving the mountain, they're on fire, I know, they're, just go with me, they're like leaving a convention, right? We just had a great outpouring of the Holy Ghost, they're leaving this awesome experience, and they're heading back down to the multitude. Multitudes can be crazy sometimes, man. <laughs> and it says, there came to him a certain man kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic. And sore vex, for oftentimes he falleth into the fire. Sometimes he falls into the water. This guy's crazy. He's just all over the place. And then I love it because this man's like, I brought him to thy disciples, the people that are hanging out with you, that are following you, probably the ones that got left behind on the, from the mountain. And he says, and they could not cure him. What's up with that, man? <laughs> like, I brought him to him. You could just see the allegations coming there. But this story tells us of a time when Jesus who had these 12 men with him, they were walking really close with Jesus. They were getting taught by Jesus. They were going to church every Sunday or Saturday or whatever day it was they went to church back then. They were going to church. They were praying continually. However, when it came time when the rubber met the robe and it came time for them to act as the body of Christ and to do the things that Jesus did, they were lacking something. There was something just a little bit off. And you actually see this throughout the New Testament when you look at the disciples' lives. They did not have the gift of the Holy Ghost when they were with Jesus. They were with Jesus. Jesus did great things, but they kind of messed up a little bit, as we know. Here's a few of the things they did. They failed to understand Jesus' teachings many times. Jesus was teaching them. They were like, yeah, yeah, we get it. We're good, yeah. And then when it came time to actually prove that they understood, they were a little bit off on some things. They failed attempts to walk on water. They failed attempts to pray for people and heal the sick. Uh, They became very jealous of each other, and they were trying to sit at his right hand and his left hand. They didn't have a great understanding of the kingdom. Betrayal happened. Uh, They had lack of understanding. They even denied Jesus when the the fire kind of came to them. And you see these people, and they had great teaching. They had great understanding. They had great unity, and they were following Jesus. But in their human nature, they were not capable of performing the works of the body of Christ in quite the way that Jesus had intended And so that's why we see when Jesus dies on the cross and is resurrected, Acts chapter 1, verse 4 through 5 tells us that Jesus, he's resurrected, and then he gets all of the believers together. It's like, come on, guys, we're going to get together. And verse 4 says, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them that they should not depart from from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. And so you can see this distinction 
It's not that there is a Holy Spirit and he's automatically in you because you believe. That's not, that's not it at all. It's like, no, you need to be empowered. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that you can do these things. Jesus, this is out of Jesus' very lips. In verse 8, he goes on to say, you're going to receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And then in Acts chapter 2, we see that the Holy Ghost is poured out, and it's an event that actually happens where they're filled with the Spirit, and they speak in other tongues, and then, game changer, man, everything changes. <laughs> they go from being kind of like, we're hanging out with Jesus, and we're, we're trying to figure this thing out, to now they're speaking boldly. Peter's up there preaching, and everybody's like, this is an unlearned and ignorant man, but wow, he's saying really great things all of a sudden, <laughs> because the Holy Ghost has empowered him to speak. And you know what? That's the way the Holy Ghost works. The disciples were, were good people. They had good dedication. They had good commitment. But when it came time for them to receive the Holy Ghost, you see an escalation all of a sudden in their ministry. Um, disagreements, they still happen when you have the Holy Ghost. But now in the New Testament, when these disagreements come, rather than the church just falling apart and people betraying each other, now all of a sudden, like, ministries are multiplied out of disagreements. People are going this way and this way, and now it's just, the, the Spirit is just multiplying. Miracles, signs, and wonders are happening all over the place. Church meetings become really powerful. People are filled with the Holy Ghost in record numbers, and unity becomes the norm. It's not easy, but it's always attainable at this point. So the infilling and the gift of the Holy Ghost all of a sudden switches things from being a Christ follower to being the body of Christ. And so for us today, we have to recognize that the gift of the Holy Ghost, it's the most life-transforming thing that can happen to us. It is. And it doesn't matter how far we've gotten from God. It doesn't matter how long we've been filled with the Holy Ghost with that initial time. Every single day, we can be refilled with the gift of the Holy Ghost and be rejoined to the body of Christ. And so today, it doesn't even matter. The Holy Ghost is non-exclusive. It is for anyone. The Bible is really clear. If you repent of your sins, you turn and follow him, and you seek after the Holy Ghost, it will come to you. And we are very thankful for that. But you know, the, the Holy Ghost isn't just an Acts chapter 2 thing. It wasn't something that God was like, eh, I'll just pour out my spirit, and we'll see what happens. Now it goes way back. And uh, it goes way back into the Old Testament, actually. Before Rome existed, before Jesus was born, before Acts chapter 2, before disciples. And it actually is at a time when the people of God in Israel are so far from him. It looks like the whole God's chosen people thing is just, it's just not going to work out. He has his people. He's trying to teach them. He's trying to teach them to walk in his ways. They continually mess up. And they find themselves so far from God that you can just... You can sense that God is just so irritated, but he loves them. So he's going he's gonna to come up with this plan. And if you turn to Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 22 through 27, you see that God speaks through the prophet Ezekiel. And he speaks these words to fallen people, to people who have messed up, have made mistakes. And have, frankly, they've made God look really bad because they have just really messed up in their attempt to live for him. Is anybody, can anybody relate to that? Sometimes we just mess up, we make mistakes, and we're like, you know what, God, I'm just making you look bad right now. I need to just, I need to probably just stop. And this is what, this is what God spoke through Ezekiel. He says, therefore say unto the house of Israel, thus saith the Lord God. That's when you know it's going to be good, because he's speaking. I do not this for your sakes, O house of Israel, but for mine, for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the heathen, wherever you went, and I will sanctify my great name which was profaned among the heathen, which ye have profaned in the midst of them. 
And the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, saith the Lord God, when I shall be sanctified in you before their eyes. For I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries and will bring you into your own land. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be clean from all your filthiness, from all your idols, and I will cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. God literally looked down at humanity, and he was like, humanity is not capable of doing the things that I want them to do on their own. So I am literally going to put my spirit inside of them, and I'm going to empower them. And then the entire world will look and say, hey, you know what? This person was a heathen. This person was praying to false gods. This person had a lot of issues, but something happened, an event happened. Something happened in their life that now all of a sudden I see that, man, they are sanctified. They are set apart, and they are living a life that doesn't make sense. I mean, if I could kind of elaborate, like they've gone to rehab programs. They've tried this stuff. They've tried to have accountability. They've tried all of these things, and it never works. But now all of a sudden, one day, they go to a church service. They get filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, and their life is changed forever. And, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter if you're a guest here today and you're hearing about the Holy Ghost for the first time or if you've been filled with the Holy Ghost since the day you were born. <laughs> Got it written in your Bible, receive the Holy Ghost. Two days after I was born, been walking with the Lord ever since. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Because today, the same spirit that filled those disciples, that same spirit that God was talking about way back in the Old Testament, that same spirit is in this place. And it wants to fill each and every one of us, either initially or it wants to fill us again. And the interesting thing about it is it's completely contingent upon us. It really is. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2, verse 39, it says, For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. You want to know if you're called? If you're here today, it's for a reason. If you're here, it might be because you come every Sunday, or it might be because you just happened in here. It doesn't matter. You're called by God because he wants to take your relationship with him to a new level. He wants you to be part of the body of Christ. He wants you to experience something unlike anything you've ever experienced before. And so today as we stand, as the musicians come up, we've got to recognize the awesome, awesome opportunity that is before us in this place. Because we get to partake of that spirit and we get to see what that spirit will do. You know, our only chance in Refuge Church to see the miraculous, our only chance to see life change, it's only going to come through the working of the spirit. It is. That's the only way it's going to happen. The Bible says, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. So we're like, how do we get that spirit to work in our lives? How do we get that spirit to come into this service on a Sunday and have somebody's life changed? He said, if you will call unto him, if you will repent of your sins, and if we will focus in and say, you know what, God, not my will, but thine, whatever you want to do in this service, we're going to allow it. And it starts with a worship service. It really does. It starts with a worship service. It, it continues in a response to the preaching. 
where we say, hey, God, you know what? I'm not perfect. I know I'm not perfect, but before you, I want, I want to humble myself, and I want to get into your presence. So I think it'd be great if we just took a few minutes as the praise team gets ready to come back up. We just lifted our hands, and we said, hey, you know what, God? I've heard this message before. I know that you've given me the gift of your spirit, but I want to experience your presence today. God, I want your spirit to work in my life this morning. God, I want to come back to your presence. I want to come back to you. I want to be refilled again. Let's ask him to, let's ask him to come into this place today. Jesus.